Welcome everybody to the continuation of a series we are in called Built for It, where we have been journeying together through these purposes that God has built us for collectively as a community, collectively as a church, what you and I together are built for, but also what you and I individually are built for. We've been saying it all throughout this series that this series is a series of activation. A series of activation for our church to do more, to take steps, to be what we are built for. But it's also about activation for you personally, for me personally, to take steps to be pushed into everything God has for us. To be pushed into everything he has called us to do. Now, by way of review here, as we begin the fourth installment, part four of our series, I'd just like to recap what it is we have already discussed that we're built for before we dive in on today. You see, in part one, what we shared is that we are built for worship collectively. That's what we do. We lift up the greatness and the majesty of the name above every other name. And when we gather together, that's part of what we do, whether online or in person. We're going to worship Jesus. But not only that, when we scatter and live our lives wherever we may live our lives, when we scatter and, and find ourselves in offices or find ourselves on construction sites, when we find ourselves at school, when we find ourselves with our friends, when we find ourselves around others, when we find ourselves by ourselves, we worship God there too because we are built for it. In the second installment, we shared that we are built for serving, that God designed you, he designed me with a unique gift, a unique talent, unique purpose in this earth, and we are built to serve God by using the gifts and talents and abilities he has given to us to serve him. We're built for it. And when we serve God as we are called to as we are built for not only does he use us but what we discovered there maybe if you missed it you need to go back and hear this he protects us through it as well and then in the third installment what we share is that we are built for community god did not design you or me to live life on our own he designed us to need community to want community to 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 only be full and only be filled when we find ourselves in community. And that's why you better find community before you need it. Otherwise, you're going to want it, not have it, because you didn't find it when you could. We are built for community. And today in part four, I am going to dive into something so foundational, so fundamental, so from the beginning with the church that it is intrinsically inseparable from what a church actually is from what the church collectively is, but also from what you and I are called to personally. See, we are built for giving. The church is built for giving. You see, the capital C church, from its inception, has been a people who give for others. If you joined us in part three, we uh, looked at those scriptures that were sort of those Genesis moments of the church, if you're unfamiliar with it, they're found in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, after Peter stands up and preaches, many people respond, they're baptized. It gives a quick snapshot of what's going on in that community that is the church. And what it says is that they, uh, they, they spent time together with one another. But it also says that they, they took 
what they had and they were willing to sell things that they have and bring the proceeds so that way all the needs of all the people could be met. It says that there wasn't one needy person among them. Many scholars and historians believe it was that generosity. It was that giving not only to one another, but to anyone who had need that made the church so irresistible and how this ragtag group of followers of a resurrected rabbi from Nazareth could literally turn the world upside down in a few generations, that the message of Jesus had spread far and wide outside of Jerusalem, that it had made its way into Europe, it had made its way into India, it made its way into Africa, literally in the matter of a few short years, that what made it stick what made it powerful, what made it seem was this willingness of these Jesus followers to give. But that's only where it starts. The Roman emperor by the name of Julian, a little while after this inception of the church, had an interesting complaint about early Christians. Listen to what he said. He said, the impious Galileans. That's another way of saying Christians because he's talking specifically about people from this place known as Galilee. In other words, where Jesus was from. The impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. <laughs> this was the better part of 1900 years ago. I ain't talking about something said 19 minutes ago, but it might apply. I'm talking about like the Roman emperor is saying, look at these Christians. They not only care for their own poor, they care for poor people that we're supposed to care for. And everybody knows we don't even care for our own poor people. The theologian Tertullian said, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of of many of our opponents. What he is saying there is there are people who may oppose what we believe. There are people who may not believe that salvation is found in Jesus. There are people that may not pray like we pray. They may not worship like we worship, but they cannot deny the generosity they see out of us. It brands us in their mind. There go those Christians giving again. There was a man named Aristides, he was an unbeliever, and he was sent out by Emperor Heradian to be a spy on this group of people called Christians. Because this particular emperor was a little, he a little sus of the Christians, if you will. He wasn't really sure because they were growing so rapidly and seemed to have so much influence. And any time a group of people gains influence, those who have the power get worried about those who have the influence. And this spy who went out to take a look at what they were doing, came back with this report. Behold how they love one another. He didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't believe like they believed, but he said, my goodness, they love one another. See, it has been giving for the good of others that has always set Christians apart. It is the church who has established hospitals not only all over our country, but around the world. There is a reason why the majority of hospitals you will see have some religious connotation in the name. Even right here in our own fair city. Baptist, Methodist, St. Francis, 
Come on, all over our country, the majority of hospitals, all over the world, the majority of hospitals were founded by Christians who said there are people who have needs in their bodies. Let's set up places of care to take care of them. It is Christians who provide famine relief all over the world when, when entire countries, when continents will go through massive seasons of not having enough food to eat. It is the Christians who fly in with goods. It is the Christians who fly in, who are often the first ones on the ground when disasters break out all over our world, like literally has just happened in Maui a few weeks ago. It is Christians who are on the ground First, serving and giving and providing relief because that's what we do. It is the Christians who have welcomed in the refugees. It is Christians who stand up for victims. Did you know that in our country, 70% of all food distribution actually happens on the site of local churches? 70% of all food distribution made available for free like we do with our grocery drive-thrus. 70% of all of that in our country happens on the campuses of churches. Why? Because churches see a need and go, we should give to make that need be filled. There was a pastor one time that said, you find a hurt and you, you heal it. You find a need and you meet it. That's what Christians do. It is Christians who are the leading advocates all over our country and the world for the adoption of foster children. Children who desperately need to grow up in a family that will love them and care for them regardless of their biological background. It is Christians time and time again who step in, who step up, who stand out and say, we will care, we will serve, we will give. This is what the church does. Now, while all of this has happened, does happen, continues to happen all over our city, country, and world, there has been a shift in what church means for many people, particularly in America, in the last 40 to 50 years. Maybe in the name of the best way to reach people, or the best way to reach a certain kind of person, or in the name of it's the most financially beneficial thing to offer or to throw your resources at, many churches have begun to step away and step out of the giving aspect as I described from the beginning. And have turned primarily to saying what we give are the services that we offer. And by services, I do not, I do not mean Programs. I do not mean opportunities. I do not mean need me. I mean gatherings typically on Sunday. The singing of songs, the preaching of God's word, which matters. But over the last 40 to 50 years, there has been a disproportionate focus on this. There has been a disproportionate uh, reallotment of personnel, of budget of time, energy, focus, and passion to where most people, when they think of a church, they don't think of all the stuff I talked about. They don't think of feeding people. They don't think of housing people. They don't think of meeting the needs that are right around them simply because there's a need there. What they think of are, certain, are Sunday services. 
What they think of is, well, how good is the preaching? What they think of is, how good is that music? What they think of is, how long does it last? What part of town is it in? How big is it? That's what they think of. And when they say all these things, they are simply talking about a Sunday service. I'm all for services. I'm all for reaching more people through services. But hear me. If that's all a church is known for, as the church, we've missed it. And I say this as someone who loves the church. Not just this church. I love the capital C church. I love the gathered body of believers trying to make a difference in their community. I love it. I've given my life to it. I pray for it. I invest in it. I believe in it. But if all we're known for are the gatherings, the services, for some people in some context, the show, if that's all we're known for, we have missed it. If you're taking notes today, I'd love for you to write this down. And baby, you're going to want to take some notes because there are going to be some things you need to process. But the church, in your notes, capital C, church, if you didn't see it or didn't recognize it, the church should be known for giving. I believe the church should be known for giving. It is impossible to read the Genesis moments of the church, what we call the book of Acts. It is impossible to read it. It's impossible to read the letters written by the apostles to some of these various churches. Things that you will know as Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of these. It's impossible to read the book of James and not see that giving is part of what the church is, that giving is what the church ought to be known for. I think often about a statement I heard in seminary where a preacher said, it was the first time I'd ever heard it. They said, if, if the church that you lead were to ever leave the community you're in, would the community even care? Or would the church people just simply drive to a new location to gather together? And I think about that often because the church is supposed to be a place that serves its community that is known, yes, that you can go there and worship. Yes, that you can go there and pray. Yes, that if you're looking for God, you can find him inside those doors, that the gospel will be preached, that Jesus' name will be lifted up, but also that if I'm hurting, I can go there and find healing. That if I have a need, that there might be some people on the inside who can either help my need or point me in the right direction. That they have given themselves to tangible needs that are right around them and they roll their sleeves up on a daily basis and do all they can with all they have to make a difference and bring heaven to earth in their neighborhood. See, I'm passionate about this because this is... This is what I believe our church is, but also is called to become more and more and more. My wife and I have a, have a friend who, this particular friend is not a religious person at all. But he knows us very, very well. And they, um, they know that we lead a church. And they kind of follow along stuff that we do, you know, online, website, uh, 
you know, probably Instagram, Facebook, you know, those kind of things. Like, just sort of stay aware and see they know lots of people who uh, are a part of our church, but they are not a very religious person at all. I would say they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. They are not involved in any uh, local expression of, of church. It's not a priority of value to them. And the other day, Mindy was, was telling me about this, that, that they had stopped her and wanted to just start talking about the church. And they made this statement to my wife, to Mindy, and said, um, your church is different. That's what they said. And she asked a great follow-up question. She said, what do you mean by that? And he just shared, you know, what I see and what I, what, what I see online. And whenever I drive by your facility, I see, I just, I see, and, and the primary thing he kept coming back to and he kept mentioning was the fact that our church gives. He says, you, you, you give in this way and you give in that way and you serve these people and you help this. And, it, and then he made this comment, he said, it just, um, he said, when I think of church, this was him talking, he said, I sort of think of more of a country club vibe. That most of the people I know that go to church, most of the people I know that talk about their church, almost talk about it like it's this country club, like it's this exclusive gathering of special people who all have a similar economic reality. He said, I, did, I just don't see that in your church. <laughs> and she said, she said, no, no, we ain't, we ain't the country club type. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, that's not our vibe. But when she was telling me that little, that little anecdotal story, again, from someone who knows nothing about God, someone who is not religious, someone who does not value the scripture, someone who does not gather with other believers because they are not a believer, but yet they see what they know of as a church in us and from us and through us and go, there's something different about y'all. And what they notice is that we give. That ministers to my heart. Because there's a verse that has impacted me on a deep level. It shapes the way we do ministry. If you've received ever one of our I Love Summer t-shirts, or you wear it with pride, whether you wear version one or version two, you cannot miss this statement that's on the back. It's a verse found in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, and this is Paul writing to a group of people that he loves so dearly, and he just said, we loved you so much that we were delighted to give you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Paul is saying we loved you so much that we could not stop just simply telling you the good news of Jesus. Although the good news of Jesus is all you really need. The problem is, if you don't know the good news of Jesus, you don't believe the good news of Jesus, you will never see your need for the good news of Jesus if you happen to have a, a need that's more basic than the good news of Jesus. And so Paul said, we loved you so much that we, we considered it our joy and our privilege to give to you our lives. We gave you our time. I'm sure Paul is thinking in his mind, I bought lunch for you and you never bought lunch for me. He's thinking, I invited you over to the house when I stayed there. I, I, I answered the phone. I picked up. I replied to He said, I was there for you. And it was my joy because we loved you. 
And can I tell you, that's the statement we work to make in and to our community. In this neighborhood that's often forgotten, in this neighborhood that has been consistently and systematically overlooked for generations, we are doing everything in our power to say that we love you so much that yes, we're gonna give you the gospel of God because that is what you need most, but we, it was our delight, it is our delight to give you our lives too. So that's why I believing we are committed to and consistent about giving. Giving is what we do. I mean, if you're watching this at church online right now, you're joining us in real time, it was just this past Saturday, yesterday, that uh, again, we served more than 300 families fresh groceries for free. What's pretty remarkable is that this now marks three years of doing this every single month. We don't just show up when it's convenient. We don't just show up when it's cool. We don't just show up when a news crew is there. We know that there are people who do not know how they're going to fill their pantry, do not know how they're going to have enough food to be able to feed their family in the upcoming days or weeks. And so month after month, sometimes even multiple times a month, but month after month, we make sure that we show up, we roll up our sleeves, and literally somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 people get food because they come to the church daily. Monday through Friday, for also right at three years. We have provided free meals to kids in a variety of capacities. In fact, even right now in this season, we are continuing to provide free meals for kids and working to reinvent that experience altogether after school, where we, yes, provide free meals for kids and also have other resources available for their families each and every day. Basic things that they may be able to use around the house. Uh, basic things that might be uh, non-perishables or drinks that they could store or put in the fridge and be able to use. But we're also working to develop uh, tutoring and homework help and reading assistance and potentially even ESL classes and these types of things in this after school time not because we have to, but because it's a need all around us. And as we lean into the need right in front of us, we see these opportunities to continue to make a difference. It's why we host classes like we do. I mean, yes, here uh, in September, we're going to be hosting a class, and it's very spiritual in nature. And I will be teaching it, and I would love for you to join it. We'll be hosting a class based on beliefs. And if you would say, I don't know what I believe, I don't know how to process what I believe in this year of our Lord 2023, I want to help you. I want to help you understand what it is we believe about salvation, what it is we believe about the Bible, and what it is we believe, even how to process issues that come up in society. How do I know what's right? How do I know what's wrong? What do we believe? What do I need to believe about the church? We're going to walk through all that together. It's going to be an incredible class, but can I tell you, many of the classes that we do don't even look like that. We host a home buying class where we teach people how to buy homes. We bring in realtors. We bring in uh, lenders right here in Memphis. We bring in credit repair people, and we teach people how to be able to buy a home of their own. What's amazing is we've had people in our church be able to buy a home 
because of the training, the connections, the wisdom, the knowledge that they learned in that class. We have helped people who do not go to our church, who, who aren't even people of faith at all, who've come to the class, attended these classes, be able to buy homes of their own. It's incredible what's happened. And I just say, we, we don't make anything off of it. In fact, we spend to make it happen. <laughs> We open up our facility and we buy food and we turn things on and promote it and share and do all this kind of stuff. We, we, we don't, it's not like we get a cut with somebody, you know, when the realtor closes, like we get a little slice and they're like, that's not what happens. Maybe it should, but it's not what happens. We give because we believe communities are better when the people who live in the communities own the homes that they're living in. We believe that the greatest way we can help impart wealth to future generations is by teaching the present generation all the resources, all the grants, all the opportunities to be able to buy a home, whatever it is and wherever it is, and then hang on to that through life and be able to have this piece of property that you own. That's why we teach a money management course. We teach a class on money that isn't designed around give more to the church. It's designed around teaching people how to budget, teaching people how to have and live with margin. Because I don't care how much money you make, I don't care how much money you have or don't have. If you spend everything that you make, you will never have enough. So you have to learn how to spend less than you make. That's the only way to experience any sort of freedom, any sort of with money. So we teach that. And we make these classes available to people for free. Because we know that that financial understanding is something often missed by many people and it's why they're drowning. It's not that they're not working hard. It's not that they're not making money. They don't know what to do with the money that they make. The Paloozas we host <laughs> that are these events of celebration where we just give to our community. We had right at a thousand people join us at Family Palooza this year in the spring. We served breakfast, had a glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt, had inflatables outside, crafting rooms, all this stuff going on. It was amazing and a little overwhelming, but it was awesome. But just being generous, giving to people. We had free breakfast. It left in about five seconds. But we had hundreds of breakfast items for free and gave them away because the church should be known for giving. This Christmas, we're getting ready again to host Christmas Palooza, where we will serve in excess of 2,000 kids toys for free. This last year, we served in excess of 2,000 kids more than 6,000 toys for free. The church should be known for giving. We clean our streets. We serve our neighbors. If there's a need that we see, we do all that we can to step in and meet it. Oh, and by the way, we bought a house <laughs> that now is lived in by a family led by a single mom, our first yellow house. And to put in context the giving that happens, we had an assessment done on the house and the rental rate that we charge is actually about a third of what they call the fair market value. In other words, what we could charge for that house, we are only charging a third yellow house is. Why? because we want to make sure it's something that moms can afford when they're in there. This is how we give. This is what it means to be a church that gives. This is what it means to be built for giving. Plus, in our services, we're making room for more people right now. On Sunday, September the 10th, 
We'll begin hosting two services each Sunday in person. There'll be identical services, more room in our services for people who join us in person to be able to invite their friends, to be able to come and connect with all God's doing here, to find community. It creates more room on teams for people to serve. Many people jumping into teams, creating space in teams for people to serve. It's a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And how are we going to share this collectively? I mean, shoot, we're going to give you some invites for those who come in person. We'll give you some invites next week to have all of our details on it about the series and all this kind of stuff. We'll be sharing things on social that those of you joining us online, you'll be able to share and spread and do this. There'll be details on our website. But the day before that, on September the 9th, we're going to be hosting a serve day. Because what we want to do is flood our community serving. Letting them know there's a God who loves them, a God who sees them, a God who can do anything. And so we're going to be blessing people all over our neighborhoods. I'd love for you to sign up and join us. You can sign up right now on our website at believing.church and be a part of this. But one of the things we're going to do is we're going to put thousands of these door hangers out. Then on the front, invite to the series that we're beginning called God Can. I'm so excited for this series. We have a gift we're going to give everybody online and in person. It is, a, it is a fun, special gift to help remind you wherever you are, whatever you're going through, God can handle it. God can do it. But on the back of these door hangers, they actually say what I've been telling you. They say believing is much more than services on Sundays. And then it talks about our grocery drive throughs it talks about the meals we do for kids after school. It talks about classes that are available. It talks about Christmas Palooza and getting free toys to their kids. Why? Because the scripture says of Jesus, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It tells us that God loved the world so much that he gave. And so that's what we are committed to doing. That is what we are set out to do. But not only are we going to be putting out these door hangers, we're going to be blessing people as they head into grocery stores to get their groceries for the day with, with gift cards, just as a blessing to let them know that God loves them. We're going to be buying coffee for people. We're, we're going to be cleaning up. We're going to be doing, we're serving, flooding our community with love and service. Why? Because the church should be known for giving. Which would lead to a very significant and important question. How does all this happen? Like, how, how does all of this happen? Well, it happens in one way. Giving. You see, whenever someone gives at believing, everything you see that happens is able to happen. We don't have a war chest of money, an endowment, or some wealthy person that we just call up and say, hey, this is what our bills are. Can you cut us a check? I only mention those because there are churches that are able to operate that way. And I'm not faulting that. I'm just telling you that's not how we operate, okay? We ain't got none of that. We do all we do because of the generosity of people. We do all we do because people take 1 Thessalonians 2.8 seriously, not only collectively, but personally. That we love our city. We love our community so much that it became our delight not just to give you the gospel of God, but to give you from our lives as well. See, ain't nothing that we do free. When we serve groceries like we do, thousands of pounds of groceries for free, believing buys us. The, the, 
the things we make available for people all throughout the week, Monday through Friday, believing pays for that. When we host classes, believing does that. When we uh, do paloozas, believing pays for that. All that we, when we host services, believing is who the one who pays for that. In fact, to say it very simply, you can write this down in your notes today. Believing could do none of this with no giving. We could not do anything that we do if it wasn't for people giving. We could do none of it. No families would get groceries. No kids would get meals after school. None of it. None of it would happen. The neighborhood wouldn't be cleaned up. We have recovery meetings, a half dozen recovery meetings that happen in our facility every week. And many of them actually clean the parking lot in the surrounding areas to make sure, not just for us, but for our neighbors, it is as clean as possible over here in this commercial, urban, industrial area. And it's a blessing to them. We could do none of what we do. No paloozas, no general, none of that without people who, believing could do none of this with no giving. But there's also another side to this too. Believing can do more of this with more giving. Now, some of you, that statement rubs you the wrong way. Because you like it when the church celebrates what it gives. But you don't like it when the church will challenge you to give personally. But I'm here to tell you, there's ongoing biblical precedent for that. And so I think when we talk about the fact that we are built for giving, and that is what we are to do and to be about collectively, if you don't like a church that gives, can I tell you, you will never like our church because that's what we do. We will always be a church that gives to our community, that serves our neighbor, that invests significant amounts, significant percentages of our resources in serving and blessing people around us. But the truth is believing can do more with more giving. If more people gave, if people who are sort of inconsistent in their giving, decide to become consistent. If people who are consistent decide to become sacrificial, oh, we could do more. And there's a clear charge that the Apostle Paul gives a church, a church in Corinth. And I want to read a few verses today from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11. And then very simply, I want to give you three things to process. Three things to work out. Um, if you're going to be a person who is built to live as someone who gives. So let's read these scriptures together, and then I'm going to process you. And I'll just tell you, for those of you particularly on a podcast or watching a church online right now that are thinking, I think this is about where I'm going to tap out. I appreciate the update on everything the church is doing. Hear me. There has never been, there's not about to be, and there will never be some pressure to give. But it is impossible, impossible as a person of faith to divorce giving from your faith journey because you were built to give. So let's look at the scripture together. Let me teach you. And at the very end, share with you a little bit about the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 11. Here's what Paul says. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you 
should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Did you hear that? God can, God will bless you abundantly. For what? To do the good work he set out for you to do. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. You heard that, right? Just for those of you who may not understand the analogy here. When Paul says sower, he means one who takes what has been entrusted to them by God and invests it in the work of God. Paul did not say he who provides seed to the spender or seed to the squanderer. Or seed to the selfish. No, 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 no. He says, see, you like that. Seed to the sower. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this last line. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That last verse is what happens when you realize personally you were built for giving and you actually give. And then people are able to see people that don't know God, people that don't believe the same way we believe, people that don't trust God, but they have a need and they get blessed through your generosity. They see our generosity together and they say, thank you, God, for filling my pantry. Thank you, God, for making sure there were toys underneath the tree for my kid. Thank you, God, for showing up. Thank you, God, for teaching me what I need to know so I can go buy my own house. Thank you, God. That's what Paul says. happens. And so how do you live? built to give. I want to be very practical from the ideas that Paul shares here. Because Paul is really talking to a group of people, a church, just like us. And he's helping them prepare for an upcoming opportunity to give. That's why he says, I don't want you to feel like it's out of compulsion or, or like you got surprised by it. Look, we've been talking about this for a while. Like, like, I want you to know that good things are going to happen through your generosity, but also, like, you need to be generous so that the good things can happen. That's what he's saying here, if you read all of this chapter. So with that being said, how do you live built to give? Here's the first thing I'd love for you to write down today. You need a plan to give consistently. You need a plan to give consistently. You know, what's true is we have plans to support everything that matters to us. Some of us, what matters to us is having the internet at our house. And it's funny, what do they call the, the, the different options that you would pick? But a plan. And what does the internet provider uh, send to you because of the plan that you have? A bill. <laughs> and so every time we pay that bill, we are just saying that I have a plan as to how I'm going to get internet to my house. Ain't nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's good. In fact, the reason you have it is because it's a good thing to you. It's why you have a budgeted amount for shopping or how you have a budgeted amount for where it is you stay or a budgeted amount for, for, for the new car that you bought. That's great. You have a plan for everything that matters to you. We need a plan. All of us who feel called, all of us who are saved, all of us who this is our church home, we need a plan to support God's house. A percentage, an amount 
The Bible says of all your increase. Now, in my house, I just want to tell you what we do. Because we have a plan. We have a plan uh, as to how we go about supporting the work of God here at Believing. Uh, my wife and I have a portion of our income that is consistently there. We get paid each month the same way. And so we have an amount set that every month we give. In fact, we give it, this is our plan, we give it on the first Sunday every month. And that's just our plan. That amount that we set is actually, for us, it's more than what our tithe would be. The tithe the Bible talks about is the first 10% of all that we make, that we return to God as an expression of worship. And we believe in the tithe. I'm a believer in the tithe. But I also believe in giving above that as the Lord blesses you. And so we have an amount that we give every single month that is above our tithe, that is the tithe plus some that we give every single month. It is how we have planned to give consistently. But my wife and I both have opportunities from time to time to make additional money. Uh, sometimes my wife will have extra work that she will do or bonuses that may come her way. I will sometimes have speaking opportunities or, or do design work or build websites for, for companies and people and stuff like that and be compensated for those things. And we've just decided when those extra things come, we actually give a, a more significant percentage of whatever that money is because it's extra. I'm not saying our plan is holy, noble, right, or should be lauded and praised. I'm just telling you what we do in my house because we have a plan. We have a plan to give consistently, which would lead me to two questions for you. Two questions that I believe you should pray through personally. What's your plan? And the second question, are you proud of it? What's your plan? See, because every one of us has a plan to give. Some of us, our plan to give is that we tithe. There are many people in our church who return to God the first 10% of all their increase. You're tithers. You believe in what God is doing here. You take him at his word. And you help fuel what goes on here. There's some people their plan is a certain amount or a certain percentage. It's not 10%. It's 2% or 5% or 8% or 1% or maybe more. Maybe it's 20%. I don't know. But you have a plan. Some people have a plan, and their plan is called tipping. And they get to the end of a month and see if they have anything left over. Or they get to the end of the service and see whether or not it really hit them. And if it did, then I'll give a little bit. And if it didn't, eh, whatever. Some people don't give. And can I tell you? That's a plan too. What is your plan? Pray through that. Ask yourself this question. What is your plan? And the second question is very important, but not to be misconstrued. Are you proud of it? And I don't mean proud of it in the flaunting to other people way, because that is antithetical to the things of God and to the way of Jesus. I mean proud of it as in, do you look at what God has entrusted to you and recognize that you are being a good steward of what he's entrusted to you? That's what I mean by being proud of it. See, Jesus told a parable one time, a story, that we know as the parable of the talents. And the one who received two talents has always stood out to me. If you're unfamiliar with the story, very quickly, it's this. 
that there was a master who had three servants, and he entrusted each of them a different amount of money according to their ability. He gave five talents, which was an amount of money to one, two talents to another, one talent to another, and the master went away. He told him he'd come back and ask for an account. In other words, what did you do with the money I entrusted to you? After a long time, the master came back, and the one who had five talents came to him and said, you gave me five, I went out and made five more. Here is this, and the master celebrated him. The one who received one talent was a shady dude, and he didn't really want to work, didn't really want to be about the master's business, and he said, I knew you were hard, and so I went and buried it in the ground. And the master said, you wicked, lazy servant, what's wrong with you? But the one who was given two talents has always stood out to me because he he clearly was not given the most, which meant the master knew his ability wasn't of such to where he could handle that. But he went out and worked it. And he brought back to the master something significant. He also took the two and made two more. He, from a percentage perspective, doubled just like the one who received five did. And you don't see him... Talk about, well, you know, I doubled mine, but it still wasn't even what you gave him to start with. No, 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 no. There was this pride within him that he had used well what was entrusted to him. He was a good steward. See, that's the heart of that question. What's your plan? You need to know your plan because we all have a plan. So just call it what it is. And then are you proud of it or not? And if you're not, maybe that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you saying, yo, um, your plan is messed up. Your plan isn't good stewardship. Your plan isn't trusting me. But if you're going to live built to give, you need a plan to give consistently. Here's the second thing you need. Write this down. You need a goal to give focus. I have people and have had people in my life for years and years and years and years. Tell me why they don't believe they're supposed to give that much. It's always funny to me. People will tell me why they don't believe in the tithe. They try to act spiritual with it. Problem is they don't want me to be more biblical with it because um, the truth is on the tithe, what I believe and why I practice it is the tithe existed before the law. Abraham, who was before the law, tithe to the priest, Melchizedek. The tithe was committed and existed within the law. That was part of following the law given by Moses through the mouth of God, Ten Commandments, and all that other stuff. And Jesus himself, who fulfilled the law, also commended and encouraged the tithe and other things as well. Not to mention when you look at that first church, they literally sold all they had. But nobody who doesn't believe in the tithe has ever, this is anecdotal, but for me, has ever told me I don't believe in the tithe because I choose to give more. I think the scripture calls us to more. It's interesting. One of my best friends when I lived in Texas was an older gentleman who was um, a very high-ranking vice president at a national company who made seven figures a year. And we used to have lots and lots of conversations about tithing because he did not tithe. He brought this stuff up. I didn't, man. I was the youth pastor at the church. What I got to do with it, you know? But um, he always would ask me questions because we were just, we were good friends. And uh, and he would tell me over and over again, I don't believe I'm supposed to tithe. I don't believe I'm supposed to tithe. And I'd be like, you don't have a scriptural leg to stand on because his thought was he made too much money to tithe. All your increase. 
But the opposite side of this is true as well, too. I've had people my whole life, even in ministry now, who tell me they can't afford to tithe because things are tight. And I understand. I understand. As someone who interacts with people every day of my life that don't know where their next meal is coming from, I understand. I understand personally. The Apostle Paul makes a statement one time where he talks about, I've learned how to live with more and less. Me too, Paul. <laughs> like, I get you. Because there have been seasons of our life uh, where we have had more than enough, where I didn't really think about money. And that there have been many seasons in our life where, where we was hanging on by a thread, where, where every dollar, where every quarter went mattered. I've had seasons of my life where I did not buy clothes for extended periods of time. Seasons of my life where I did not eat out for extended periods of time. Seasons of my life where I ate differently. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, for a period of time. But can I tell you? Through it all, I've always chosen to give to God. And I only say that to tell you, God has always provided for me. I ain't trying to sell you nothing. I want something for you. And some of you have never seen God come through for you in meeting your needs. My Bible tells me I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. That don't mean that we ain't got much but a little bit of bread left, but I'll tell you this, I've never been without. I've had more, I've had less. But even when I had less, the easy thing to kick off is supporting the work of the church. The easy thing to kick off is to say, God, well, I just ain't going to give like I used to right now. I've picked up extra work so I could keep giving. I've sacrificed in other areas to be able to keep giving. And uh, I've always seen God take care of me. See, what if we became people who found ways to give more rather than try to find ways to give less rather than try to see, oh, maybe they won't really care. Maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe my, what if we said, I want to find ways to give more. Can I tell you, that's been my personal goal in our collective practice as a church. I want to this year give more dollars to the church than I gave last year. That has been an ongoing, consistent goal for me. I want to give more dollars this year than I gave last year, which requires discipline, and, and, it, and it requires stewardship, and it requires hard work, and it also requires sacrifice. But I want to give more dollars this year than I gave last year. It's a goal. I try to find ways to give more, and part of the ways you can find to give more is by spending less. It's something I find. But as a church, what we do is we see consistent increase in our funds. We don't spend more. We give more. The way we've been able to grow many of the, the, the services that we do, many of the ministries of giving out that we do, is because we have a little bit more to do. We can afford to buy more groceries for more people, so we increase groceries. We can afford to serve more kids with more toys, so we give more. We have goals as a church about our facility cost and operations to enable more money to go to ministry that are crazy, they're clear, 
closer. But we have a goal. We have a goal. So my question for you is this. Two questions to pray through. What's your goal? And does it take faith for you? What's your goal? And does it take faith for you? Your goal may be an amount. That's great. Your goal may be a habit. Can I tell you, if you're someone who maybe doesn't give right now or doesn't give consistently, maybe the goal for you is just that habit. I'm going to give when I get paid every single time between now and the end of the year. That's an incredible goal. Don't let somebody who maybe has a, a history of trusting God with their finances like make you feel insignificant or inferior. If you don't give anything, you, you, you know what your plan is now. Or maybe you're someone who from time to time will tip God. Or maybe you're someone who gives real consistently, but you give in a way that's very comfortable for you. What's your goal? And does it take faith for you? Because here's what's true. You and God know what giving looks like for you right now. So you and God know what faith looks like for you from here forward. Because we're built to give. And you need a plan to give consistently. And you need a goal to give focus. And here's the last thing, and I want to share one thing with you. You need a vision to give towards. You and I need a vision to give towards. You see... Paul in 2 Corinthians here is painting a picture of what it is they're giving towards in the verses before what we read. As a church, every year we have an opportunity at the end of the year that we call a vision offering. And it's the only time, honestly, throughout the year I will encourage every single person to be like, if this is your home, you need to give. Because our vision offerings do just that. They fuel the vision of the church immediately to be here for good. It was through a vision offering that we were able to actually renovate this facility when we moved in here, moving from meeting portably in the Paradiso to having this facility. This facility was a wreck, and we were able to do all the work that we did because people gave in a vision offering to enable us to repair glass and install signage and paint walls and tear down walls and move things around and install flooring and fix everything that you, all of that happened because people gave in a vision offering. It was through a vision offering that we were able to do our first Christmas Palooza where we served several hundred kids toys. That was only possible because of the generosity of people through a vision offering. We said, we're taking everything that comes into the vision offering and we're gonna use it to buy toys for kids. These vision offerings have made what you see now possible. And this year, our vision offering isn't coming for a while. But something I have learned in leading our church is that I've had many people as we do these vision offerings say, I wish I would have had more time to prepare. Because oftentimes we'd mention it three or four weeks in advance, let people pray, prepare, give, and then away we go. But this year I really sensed like we were supposed to share this in advance. And so our vision offering will not be coming until November 19th, 2023. On that Sunday will be a Sunday that I will invite and encourage all of us to come ready to give. That's months from now. But I want to tell you the focuses of our vision offering this year and leave you today just praying, asking God, what would he have you because this year our vision offering is all about creating more and better room for more friends right here at our physical location. 
Everything given in our vision offering this year is going to help us enhance, expand, and improve this facility for all ministry that takes place. For our services on Sundays, for our ministry, our groups that happen throughout the week, for the, the usages of this facility, for the good of our community, for events that we hold here, and much, much more. We have some exterior and interior vision. Some of it's project, but some of it's vision. And to be very quick, you can find all the details about this on our website at believing.church. This will be there for you to see, to learn more, to give, even in that way if you would like to. But um, our plan is twofold. On the exterior of our building, we, uh, we need to repair our roof. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound sexy, but can I tell you, if the roof doesn't do what the roof is supposed to do, we got a problem on the inside. And we have patched, we have hired companies to patch, we have patched ourselves for... The, the many years that we've used this facility and our roof just needs to be repaired front to back, side to side. So we need it coated and set so that way it stays tight, neat, dry on the inside going forward. The other thing on an exterior perspective we plan to do is the back of our facility has never been touched. If you come up to the front of the facility, it looks beautiful. Down the sides of the facility, we painted those when we moved into the facility. But our painter helped us be able to save a lot of money by saying, hey, if you don't paint back here, it's going to save you about half the cost of painting. And so when we did all that, we just deleted that because we had a budget to work with it. Well, we have so much that goes on on all sides of our building. We have customers, people that go to restaurants and stuff that are behind our building, that see the back of our building all the time. And we just feel like part of being here for good, part of being a good neighbor is providing the same uh, beautiful thing that you see up front in the back. And so we want to address that. On the inside, we have two projects as well we are going to attack uh, through this vision offering. The first is the expansion of our primary restrooms in our commons area. Those of you who may have been here in person sometime recently have seen us move, relocate our auditorium doors. Part of the reason we relocated them is yes, it makes the building flow and function better and being wider with double doors. But it also gives us space now to extend our restrooms, creating multi-use restrooms, multiple sinks, multiple toilets in each restroom for services, for events. And those of you who've ever been here, you know that's a need. And then on top of that, our plan is to expand the size of our auditorium by pushing back our main wall in the auditorium and adding square footage to our main room. In doing that, we will reconfigure the stage, which will allow us to literally take what is the surface area of the auditorium now, and in the future have that as total flat floor space for events. When we do Christmas Palooza and Family Palooza and some of the other large events and gatherings that we have, we need this space now. And so being able to move that wall back enables us to have that space when we need it and then gives us the room as our Sundays continue to grow to be able to add more seating and do these types of things to serve more people. It's clear. It's simple. It's what God has called us to do. And my question for you to pray through in this season is just simply this. Ask God what he would have you give. Would you do that? Just say, God, what would you have me give? God, how would you have me support the vision of the church. For some of you, the, what God may speak to you is just to begin to give consistently. If you don't give consistently and you start giving consistently, you are going to help us make that vision a reality. You're going to help us do more good for more people. 
Maybe some of you, you give consistently, but you're going to pray about these projects and pray about the vision offering this year. And maybe there will be a number on your heart that the Holy Spirit will impress there that that's what you're supposed to give this year. And God wants you to, to do some of you are going to just keep this in your mind and heart and be praying for God to open doors because you know you ain't got no extra. But I promise you, because I've seen it happen to myself. God may want to open doors for you in this season. And he's not just opening doors so you can have a little more for yourself. Maybe he's opened doors so that he can provide seed to a sower. See, in your notes, I just want you to know this as we close. We will never be what we're built for until we do what we're built for. And that's true for all of us. You and I were built to give. Our church was built to give, and we give so much. But we're just getting started. And we will never be what we are built for until you and I and us, we give like we're built for, for the glory of God and the good of those around us. May I pray for you today, Father? I love you and thank you. Father, I pray this word would sit clearly in our hearts, that it would fill us with excitement for all the good work that you're doing through your church but also fill us with personal responsibility to take up our piece of the puzzle and to do what you've called us to do personally so that collectively we can do all that you've called us to do. Father, I pray you speak to your people and not only speak to them like your word promises, you resource them. Enable them to abound in every good work. I love you. Jesus, we pray all this in your precious name. Amen.